You may be seated. Patrick will be back to give us a closer. And by the way, he has a table set up with none of the songs we did, but <laughs> but other songs. Uh, so make yourself available to some of his CDs. Appreciate you, Patrick, and your family. <laughs> Numbers chapter 22. Last week we looked at Numbers 21. We looked at the bronze serpent upon the pole. And when people looked upon this serpent, it gave healing from the poisonous snake bites that they were getting. The people looked upon this symbol, this serpent on a pole, and they lived. The medical profession around the world uses this same symbol, the serpent on a pole, as an identifying trademark of physical healers. Jesus in John 3, 14, he declared that he must be lifted up in the same manner as the serpent on the pole, but only Jesus was lifted up upon a cross. Lifted up for mankind to be saved from the judgment of sin. And all you had to do was look upon the cross. And that's still all we have to do today is look upon the cross. This is foolishness to the world to think that a, a person dying 2,000 years ago could bring forgiveness for us today, but that's the power of God to save. God in his wisdom, he was demonstrating his power over sin through the cross of Christ. Salvation, so very simple, so available by simply believing upon Jesus and the work he did on the cross. Yet for the carnal mind, for the natural mind, the cross is foolishness. Therefore, much of humanity die in their sins, not accepting salvation through Jesus. What a tragedy. But for us who are being saved, salvation the gift of God. But getting to Israel, they've been in the wilderness now 39 years. Miriam and Aaron have died. Their numbers, they've multiplied. Their numbers are huge. And their numbers, the sheer amount of people, influence those nations, those tribes that are on the border of Canaan. Because Israel is very near to entering the promised land. And they're very frightening to those people that are in those border nations. They're on the north side, northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. They're on the west side, nor is it east, east side of the Jordan. And these tribes, these people, these nations are resisting Israel because there's so many of them. And then we come to Numbers chapter 22. 22. Balak, king of Moab, he wants to hire Balaam to curse Israel. Balaam, he's sort of the mystery man of Scripture, especially the Old Testament. And you ask the question, is Balaam a prophet? 
or is he a diviner? Balaam is spoken of in Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Nehemiah, Micah, Peter, Jude, and we read this morning from Revelation where he is spoken of. There are more references to Balaam in Scripture than to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Again, he remains that mystery man. Yet there's a lot of debate as to whether Balaam is a prophet or an imposter. Is he a prophet of God or is he just a heathen soothsayer, diviner? And you can make a case for either one, really. So let's jump into Numbers chapter 22. We'll look at verses 1 through 21. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because there were many. And Moab was sick with dread because the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will look up everything around us as an ox licks up grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth. They are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring word to you as the Lord speak to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose early in the morning and said to the princes of Balaam, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me. For I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do, these, to do less or more. Now therefore, please, you may also stay tonight that I may know 
what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you that you shall do. So Balaam rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Quite a reading. You ever do a long reading? They're difficult. But anyway, Israel is camped out. They're across the Jordan River. They're very near to Jericho. And Balak, king of Moab, has seen what Israel did to the Amorites. And it scares Balak exceedingly. So much so that he is physically sick. Balak declares to his elders, we're in big trouble, fellows. <laughs> uh, Israel will consume us like an ox eating grass. Well, I don't have any ox, but I got cows. Friday we had a thunderstorm. And it got rather nasty at the house. I'm on the back porch watching it rain like crazy and thunder and lightning. And I look out in the pasture and lightning comes down and hits near my cows. I yell into Lori, we may have just lost a cow. <laughs> the cows now did not even bother to raise their heads. They continued to graze. And I marveled at that. Wow. Lightning hits near you, and you can't even look up from your eating of grass. So I understand in part what Balak says, that the, you know, the ox will lick up the grass. But please come, Balaam. Come at once. Israel, they're far too mighty for me and my people. And then we have a little flattery by Balak. For I know whom you bless is blessed, and I know whom you curse is cursed. Now these words of flattery, they could apply to a diviner or a prophet. And that doesn't really clue us in to who Balaam is. If Balaam is a prophet, it's sort of odd that he doesn't live with the people of Israel. He doesn't abide with God's people. And that is a little strange. But we have the princes, these dignitaries of Moab, coming to Balaam, and they have money in hand. They have the diviner's fee with them. And Balaam is excited by the offer from Balak. We know this by other readings. But he's cautious. Lodge here tonight. And I will give you God's word in the morning. And then we have God speaking to Balaam. That doesn't make him a prophet, by the way. God does not need your permission or my permission to speak to us. God called Samuel when he was just a child. And he called him three times before Samuel realized that it was God speaking to him. Saul, while persecuting the church apart from God, God knocks him to the ground with a bright light and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So the simple fact that God speaks to you does not make you a prophet. 
but it's not bad either. <laughs> Balaam, God asks him, who are these men with you? And he explains to God, uh, and, he's, and this sort of makes you think perhaps he is a prophet. Balaam goes through the, who these men are and why they want him and what they want him to do. And there's times when God will ask you and I questions. And sometimes it's for no other reason than for us to think through the situation we're in and to explain perhaps our behavior. Verse 12, Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse this people for they are blessed. God could not have been more direct, more simple, more plain to Balaam. Do not go with them. Do not curse them. But notice, Balaam softens that word to the dignitaries. He softens it from do not go, period, to God has refused to give me permission to go with you. That little door opens up. There's a crack in the door there. And Balaam has opened up what I call the negotiations. For Balaam is not near as direct or stern as God was to him. And he's thinking perhaps God will change his mind. And he's saying to Balak, and his princes, perhaps if you up the ante. And we say that because we know the rest of the story. We know from other scriptures that Balaam uh, loved the wages of being uh, a prophet. He liked the recognition also. And he's ready for the big payoff. He's ready for that uh, bonus that will set him up for life. But compromise has already entered Balaam's heart. And this is exactly the opening that Balak is looking for. Remember, Balak is exceedingly afraid. And fear happens to be one of the great motivators. And Balak, he is very much afraid. So he sends a new group of dignitaries to Balaam, more numerous, more important. And this indicates to me that negotiations are going on now between Balak and Balaam. Come quickly, Balaam, and I will certainly honor you greatly, or I'm going to make you rich beyond measure. Then Balaam, Balaam shows that he's sort of adapted to this negotiation thing. And he says, although you make me exceedingly rich, I can only say what God allows me. To me, Balaam is simply covering himself. <laughs> what if you don't like what I have to say, Balak? Are you still going to pay me? Now, this setting is in the Middle East. 
The Middle Easterners are notorious negotiators. <laughs> they enjoy the give and take in the marketplace. They enjoy that banter that goes on when you negotiate the price of something. And in verse 19, Balaam opens the negotiation door just a little more, and he says, stay here tonight, and maybe God will give me further instructions. Balaam, he just told you, do not go with him. Why do you need further instruction? And in verse 20, we have what it appears to be God softening his word to Balaam. Okay, Balaam, you can go with the men of Balak, but only speak what I tell you. And then we see Balaam rising early, saddling his donkey, and going with the men of Balak. And thus, Balaam is on very dangerous ground with God. For Balaam's donkey will be used of God to instruct Balaam, and you may want to read ahead on that. I'm sure you know the stories. But Balaam's donkey not only speaks to Balaam, he wins the argument. Something to think about. But Balaam, whether prophet or diviner, does not consider God's word absolute. Unfortunately, we also can receive God's commands as suggestions. And we, like Balaam, are in deep trouble when we do that. God's first word to Balaam, you shall not go with them. Balaam can't live with that, though. God could not have been more direct to Balaam. He could not have been more plainly spoken. And Balaam falls into the trap of logical or compromised thinking. Balaam is thinking to himself, does God really mean don't go? I wish that were only true of Balaam. When I look at the church today, I'm troubled. In my humble opinion, and this is just me and my thinking, the church also thinks God's word is not current, it's not up to date, and it is negotiable. As a young man, and that's quite a few years ago, I was dating a Christian girl at our church. She sang in the choir. She was up there for everybody to see every Sunday. And she appeared to be this fine, lovely, young Christian lady. But things were not really right between us. So I was praying one Sunday evening, Lord, if you don't want me to date this girl, just have her say no when I ask her out after church. Now, I, like Balaam, had hedged my bet. We were already kind of like an item. We were already dating. But I asked her out, and she said no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why did you say no? And me, with my great persuasive powers, I convinced her that she should go out with me to get something to eat. 
I was not willing to accept no, even though I had prayed about it. And being persistent, I did convince her that we should go out to my dismay. That sweet young Christian girl became nothing but trouble. <laughs> and all I can remember is how I was unwilling to accept no from God. A great lesson in life. Hopefully, and I say hopefully, I have learned to listen to God when he speaks to me, whether yes or no. But I found that the world we live in, absolutes are few and far between. Truth in most young minds, in most minds today, is relevant, it's subjective. And it's appalling to me that some Christian churches can, can completely overlook God's direct commands. Many churches have come to the conclusion that God's word is not absolute. And they take polls all the time about these things. And recently I read where there was one poll where not even one half, not even half, of church attendees believe the Bible is inerrant. Not even half. And unfortunately, that applies to many pastors who are filling pulpits across our land. Right now, today, the Supreme Court is trying to decide whether it is right for two people of the same sex to marry. My Christian friends, God in Genesis chapter 2 defined marriage. One man one woman for life. God defined it. And yet we hear those voices that clamor for reasonable answers. And they say things like, how can we as a society define who loves whom and if two people love each other, what is wrong with them marrying one another? Well, first of all, it's not natural, okay? And it's not natural for a man to marry a man or a woman to marry a woman. Nature, nature itself tells you this. But more importantly, God forbids it. He said one man, one woman for life. And now we, here in Christian America will have our Supreme Court decide to make it a national law covering all the states for same-sex marriage. And you know what? They probably will rule that it's okay. I don't see how they can rule otherwise because already the majority of the states approve it. What does that come down to? It's promotion of sin. That's what it is. You're promoting sin. But we already promote sin as a nation. All you have to do is look at Hollywood and the films they produce. 
for a third world nation right now to receive humanitarian aid from the United States, that nation must embrace abortion. Why? Because abortion is on the books. It's the law of our land. And so if you want to receive aid from the United States, you have to agree that abortion is permissible. That's promoting sin. So I don't have a lot of faith in the Supreme Court. I really don't. I do not think they will pass godly judgments. But I do pray for them. I pray for our leaders, those in power over us. We're told to do that. And I, I try to do that on a regular basis. But on the grassroots level, you and I, as believers, stand firm upon God's word. Take a stand. If God says yes, let it be yes. And if he says no, let it be no. And let me read what Peter had to say about Balaam, unless you think I'm hard on him. Second Peter 2.15 For they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. That comes from Peter. Peter is also the man that called Lot, Abraham's nephew, righteous. So you know Peter's looking at it through grace. So when Peter looks at Balaam, he says he loved the wages of unrighteousness. Love the good things. Love the upright things. Take a stand for what is good and pure. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.